Well, um, we're in the, in the midst of an eight-week series in the book of James, and we're on week four so far, so almost halfway. And as I've been saying almost every week, James is a very practical book. James is a very practical guy. You know, Paul is more, the Apostle Paul is more concerned about telling us what the gospel is, and the Apostle, or, or James, is more uh, concerned about you know, once we've believed the gospel, what should life look like after that? He kind of assumes the gospel and, and unpacks our life for us. And, and also, as I've been saying, the series title, Faith That Works, has a kind of double meaning. It's faith that works for the one who believes because it changes our lives. And, and uh, faith in Jesus in this life makes life better. Maybe not necessarily easier, but better. It's a better way to live. And also faith that works is a faith that works on behalf of others. Real faith in Jesus will be evidenced in the world and, and will we'll seek to benefit other people. So faith that works. And as our friend Dave Bast mentioned a couple weeks back, um, Martin Luther took a rather low view of uh, the book of James. In, in a commentary, he wrote, quote, it's a right strawy epistle, <laughs> which was the foundation of you know, this, this understanding that Luther saw this epistle as the epistle of straw, not, not very weighty. And it's, it's more likely than not that Luther formed his view of the epistle, the epistle because of one of the verses that we'll read today. Here, here, I'll give you a quick preview. Verse 24 in chapter two, James writes this, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Now, if you know anything about Martin Luther, he'd probably be twitching at this, right? Because his story of coming to faith in Jesus involved this tremendous realization that God gave him that the only way people come to God is by grace and through faith in Jesus. And that the, all of Galatians and Romans, the point of these books that were written by the Apostle Paul was to help us understand, to help us grasp that when by grace and, and through faith, faith that is a gift to us, by the way, uh, God credits that faith to us as a right relationship with Jesus. So there, there's a legal analogy and kind of an accounting analogy. The legal analogy is that the judge makes a declaration and says, you are in right relationship with me. And God does that through faith in, in Jesus. And, and the accounting uh, analogy is that God writes it up in the books. He takes faith but writes it up in the books as not only uh, canceling the debt you owed, but putting into your account this tremendous deposit of the per perfect righteousness of Christ so that God sees us by his grace and through our faith in, in Christ as in right relationship with God. So that's Luther's thing. So you can see when he reads this, he says, what are you talking about, James? How can this possibly be? But, but many, and I would consider myself one of those, uh, think that there's really no tension between what James writes here and what the rest of the Bible says. It's just that we need to understand what James is trying to say. And he tees up the conversation by posing a couple questions, which is the first verse that we'll read in our passage today. So as you listen to the scripture today, tune in, you know, press the button, get your mind going, listen for those questions, listen to the illustrations James uses, and to the arguments he makes. So let's listen to the word of God. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith 
but has no deeds. Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Doug. Where there is real faith in Jesus, there will be evidence of it in a person's life. Real faith in Jesus results in Jesus-like behavior. That's really all James is trying to say in this passage. Uh, But he tells us in a way both to make and seal his case. Uh, He leads with those questions that I mentioned. Uh, Here they are again. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? You know, in the original language, in the Greek, the grammar used in this, it's a rhetorical question that demands a negative answer. So even as you read the question, the the reader would know that the, the expected response is not just a no, but a no way. Absolutely not. So James is asking, is faith with no visible action really faith? Because where there is real faith, there will be evidence of it in a person's life. Right? And, and then the controversial part, can such faith save them? Now don't miss that, that little phrase, such faith. Think about that for a moment. It's pretty clear that it means that this is a faith defined in a way that does not include action which is visible in life. So in this passage, uh, James is using the word faith to refer to two different things. Kind of real faith and then a watered down substitute which parades around calling itself real faith but which isn't really faith. And he gives us an illustration to help us understand that. 
Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Uh, now, now the reference is not just to a, a person out there somewhere, but to a brother or sister, a fellow believer, member of your, member of your congregation, right? Suppose that person is without clothes and daily food, meaning they come to church inadequately dressed because they don't have the means to dress themselves properly. And it's not like they don't know. They do know. It's embarrassing. If they could do something about it, they would. More than that, they're hungry. This person showed up that morning without the means to eat the food necessary to give them the nutrition they need for that day. If they could eat, they would. That's the situation, fellow believer whom we know, unable to provide for themselves at that moment. So if another member of the church who's nicely dressed, has plenty to eat, sees this person in need and simply says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? If you, if you imagine your way into this scene, it's really quite shocking I mean, clearly, if the person could keep warm and well-fed, they would. So to brush off their need without even seemingly a twinge of, of conscience would reveal something about the nature of the faith of the person who said, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed. And with James, we'd have to ask, what good is a faith like that? I mean, what, what, what's that kind of faith all about? Is it even faith at all? You know, and, and James' conclusion is, both, is, is true both logically and morally. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now here it is, here it is again, faith by itself. So here he's using faith to refer to that watered-down thing. It's a, a second-class substitute for the real thing. Right? Faith by itself, if not accompanied by action is dead. Don't miss the force of that word, dead. James intends it in this verse. The, the Greek word is nekros, and it means dead, as in not living, lifeless, breathless, flatline, nothing to bring back, dead, no life there at all, faith apart from action is dead. It's not real faith, James says, because real faith in Jesus results in Jesus-like behavior. Where there is real faith in Jesus, there will be evidence of it in a person's life. Now that kind of faith does not result in action or Jesus-like behavior. It's just head knowledge, this, this, this kind of faith that, that James is describing. And, and this, is, this is the watered-down version. He, he details that in the next verses. You might agree with information, spiritual truth, but it's not faith. I mean, to make his point, James uses an imaginary friend who makes a seemingly reasonable objection. He, he creates this conversation partner, right? But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. This is the conversation partner with whom James interacts for the rest of the passage. And that person is saying, in essence, James, you're making 
too big a deal of all this deed stuff. You're drawing too sharp a line. Look, you have faith, I have deeds. We're all different people with unique gifts. Your life is going to look a little different than my life. It's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. And darn it, people like us. <laughs> we just have different emphases. You like theology. I'm, I'm more practically minded. I like to do stuff. It's all good. To which James responds bluntly, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Meaning, where there's real faith in Jesus, there'll be evidence of it in a person's life. James appeals to the evidence. Remember, this is James the Just, old camel knees, because he spent so much time kneeling in the temple praying for people. His life had been completely transformed. His faith was evidenced in his life. He says to the imaginary questioner, show me, show me your faith. Don't tell me about it. Show it to me. I don't want to hear about it. I want to see it. Where is it evident in your life? Where is it visible? Where is it unmistakable to onlookers? I want to see it. His point, real faith is more than intellectual assent to spiritual truth. And real faith is more than believing the right things about Jesus. It's more than believing that the Bible is true and accurate. It's much more than that. And man, does James win this debate in a single verse, the next one. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Demons believe that there is one God, says James. Demons give intellectual assent to spiritual truth. But that's not faith. One commentator wrote this. All demons are thoroughgoing monotheists for they believe God is one. And they are all Trinitarian. They know the Apostles' Creed is true. God is the maker and Jesus is his virgin-born son. They know the truth of Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and coming return. Some demons are great theologians. In fact, some demons have better theology than we do but it does them no good. I mean, James' point is that real faith in Jesus is more than intellectual assent to spiritual truth. And, and let's not misunderstand, in writing this letter, I, I don't believe for one minute that James was just trying to motivate the church to get to work in the world. That's, that's not the point here. That, that it's, this isn't a motivational talk. Nor is James saying, look, you, you better get to work in the world so you can prove that your faith is real. He's not saying we should do more so that we can know that we're right with God or have some greater level of security in our relationship with God. That's not the point either. What's going on here is that James is very concerned with people and their eternal salvation, what their relationship with God is actually like. Because evidently, he has seen some deception at work in the world and he wants to call it out. He has seen people referring to intellectual assent to spiritual truth as faith. 
He's seen people actually believing that intellectual assent to spiritual truth is saving faith. It's that which reconnects us with God. And he wants us to understand that it's not. Saving faith is not just believing all the right things about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So if that's not real faith, if believing all the right things about Jesus and believing the Bible is true and all that, if that's not real faith, what is? What does the real deal look like? Well, says James, it looks like the faith of Abraham and Rahab. That's an interesting pairing, isn't it? So this is what verses 20 through 26 are about in the passage of, of the day. And there's a lot more to say about those verses, but the essence of them is that in, uh, in both the case of Abraham and Rahab, their faith involved risk that demonstrated actual trust in God. That's what faith is, biblically. Trusting our whole selves to God. See, Abraham and Rahab put their money where their mouth was. They, they risked to such a degree that if God didn't show up, they were going to experience significant loss and, and pain. You remember the story. It's one of the most challenging in the whole Bible, right? Abraham, at God's order, takes his son Isaac all the way to the top of Mount Moriah. You know, Isaac is tied up, laying on the altar. Abraham has knife in hand when God calls him off. Remember God's response? Now I know that you fear God. That fear is not afraid, it's holy reverence. Have your relationship with God in the right perspective. God's God, we're not, we trust God. Because you have not withheld from me your own son, your only son. His faith, his trust in God was visible in his life through his actions. And, and the story of Rahab was, was similar. Her faith was visible in her life through her actions when she hid the spies. This is in uh, Joshua, was it Joshua 2? I'm forgetting now, but it's in Joshua. Um, though, though she was not at all similar to Abraham, right? Th- think of this. Think of the difference between Abraham and Rahab. Abraham was the original Jew, the first Jew. Rahab was a Gentile woman. Abraham was a patriarch. Rahab was a prostitute. Abraham was moral. Rahab was immoral. Yet they both demonstrated their faith by taking risks in life that showed actual trust in God. That's real faith. That's saving faith. Not our willingness to take risk now, but actual trust in God. That's the idea. Now, where there is real faith in Jesus, there will be evidence of it in a person's life, like Abraham's life and like Rahab's life. And both Abraham and Rahab are remembered in the Faith Hall of Fame. That is Hebrews 11. Remember, they're both mentioned there. What a beautiful witness to the reality that everybody's invited. Everybody, everywhere is invited to come home to God through faith in Jesus. All people, no matter their life situation, are invited to trust God by giving their lives to Christ. Now, giving your life to Jesus means transferring your trust to Jesus. 
This is an important thing to me personally because as some of you fifth regulars know, I didn't grow up in the church. I came to Christ later in life and I struggled with all the Christian vocabulary. I didn't know what it meant. So one of the illustrations that was so very helpful to me was this. Um, I, I could believe that this organ would hold me if I leaned on it. Do you believe that it will hold me if I lean on it? But it's not holding me now, right? So I believe, I give intellectual assent to the reality that this organ could hold me. That's not faith. Faith is when you do this, right? And I mean, we grow in faith. There's a little like, you know, now if if the organ goes away, I got to catch, right? But the longer you live, the more you realize that life is really like this. And if the organ goes away, I'm going down, right? This is faith. This is trust. And, and that, that's all the Bible means. That's all that Christians mean when they talk about receiving Jesus into your heart, trusting Christ, you know, accepting Jesus. It's transferring trust of your life to what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, particularly on the cross. When that transfer of trust happens, as, as many in this room uh, uh, will attest to, you're made a different person. You're new inside. Because when you're living in a place of complete reliance upon Jesus, there's a, a, an, an immovability to your faith. You know, because when you're leaning on this thing, it's not about whether the wind blows you down. Because when you're like this, you can stand in an early powerful wind and it doesn't bother you. I mean, it doesn't shake you because your foundation is secure and solid. Jesus is secure and solid. So that's all that, all that the scripture means by accepting Christ. After that transfer of trust, we, we are apprenticed to Jesus. That's all the word disciple means in the Bible. We become apprentices of Jesus. And one way of thinking about discipleship is it's simply learning to live and lead like Jesus. We're, we're in G- the school of Jesus, learning to become more like him and how, how to live like him and influence others in, in the same ways that he did. See, living like Jesus, becoming like Jesus in our character, leading like Jesus, becoming like Jesus in our influence with others. You, know, uh, you might not think of yourself as a leader. We all exert influence in different circles of life. That's, that's all I mean by that. Both living and leading like Jesus will be visible through what James calls deeds. They, they just go together. So a, a faith that has no visible outworking is probably just intellectual assent to spiritual truth. And if that's all we got, there's a lot more to get. Now, just to clarify, those deeds that we do don't save us. The Bible is very clear on two things. Salvation is by faith alone. No doubt about that, crystal clear in Scripture. We read it earlier in the service. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. By grace, God credits faith to us as righteousness, as right standing with God. There is no other path to salvation and a restored relationship with Jesus. This is the only one. The Apostle Paul focuses on the relationship of faith and works prior to conversion. So the first thing the Bible's clear about, salvation is by faith alone. Second thing, salvation is by a faith that is not alone. I'm thankful to a commentator for those, that little pairing of phrases. We see this truth uh, in James uh, and, and in, in this verse. Verse 10 of the assurance that we've been reading throughout this series. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and Ephesians 10 or 2, 10. Right? These things, go, these things go together. Where there's real faith in Jesus, there will be evidence of it in a person's life. Real faith in Jesus results in Jesus-like behavior. The Apostle James focuses on the relationship between faith and works after conversion, after we know what it is to trust Jesus. So here's the thing. Intellectual assent to spiritual truth is not faith according to the Bible, faith is transferring your trust to Jesus. In this passage, James tells us that where there is real faith in Jesus, there will be evidence of it in a person's life. And he warns us, saying if there's no evidence in a person's life of actual trust in God, if it's all theoretical, if it's all just head knowledge, that person would do well to ask themselves in whom or what they are actually trusting and to redirect that trust to Jesus who is solid, secure, and trustworthy. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, thank you that we have a firm foundation. Thank you that there is a solid rock upon which to stand that is immovable, secure. I thank you that in this life, filled with uncertainties, we can have that certainty and know it for sure. God, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Please pour out your spirit on us and help us in our relationship with you wherever we happen to be today. Help us to trust you Lord, to rely upon you, to lean upon you. We believe that you are trustworthy. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.